Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Well, <laughs> you Ohio State fans were out praying the Pope last night, weren't you? <laughs> Watch that game. Wow. Um, but uh, should have been praying for the Reds. Goodness sakes. The Reds were up 9-1. to one. They lost 13-12. to 12. I mean, at this point, I could pitch relief for the Reds. They might as well be throwing underhanded, for goodness sakes. It's just unreal. Uh, but anyway, a couple of things before we get going. Uh, first is this. For any of you who sometimes come on Saturday nights, I know most of you don't, but our Saturday night service, sometime after Rahab, which I'll get to in a minute, and, but definitely by the first week in January, the Saturday service, we're moving back to the chapel. And so that, that won't happen this month or next month, but it'll happen because we've got things we got to do back there. Uh, we've got two organs. Anybody want to buy an organ? Um, who plays an organ anymore? You know, um, Deep Purple. I don't know who else plays an organ anymore, but it... Um, We've got two organs we got to get rid of. We've got all this kind of stuff we got to clear out and, and uh, make it especially to Ralph's liking. And so that, that'll be on Saturday night just so you know if you show up at 5 o'clock or whatever and you're like, nobody's in here. It's like, yep, we're back there. And we'll put signs up when we're ready to do that. But we got to clean that place out because we get, we get less than about 100 people on Saturday night. That place seats about 140, so it'll be comfortable back there. Uh, speaking of Rahab, that's coming up you know, the next month, and so if you haven't got tickets, ladies, you want to do that, and there's a thing before that, and all that kind of stuff, you can go and talk to mom about that. She gets mad at me, and I offended somebody last night, but I'm sticking by it. You ladies are going to have with Rahab a hoedown. <laughs> um, you got no story, Rahab, to get that. Um, I like that. I was, I was reading. Uh, oh, you got it. Okay. <laughs> Ah, delayed reaction. Um, the uh, the, the uh, Jewish rabbis in the in the first and second century, we have some of their writings, like the Mishnah and so forth. They tried to rewrite that story because they were embarrassed by it, and they tried to turn Rahab into an innkeeper. And I was like, "Yeah, an innkeeper like Miss Kitty from Gunsmoke." Um, <laughs> anyway, you guys have fun with that. Um, and we've got after that, we will be having Thanksgiving uh, dinner. If anybody wants to help volunteer for that, uh, keep that in mind. We'll have sign-ups after Rahab for Thanksgiving dinner. And then, finally, before we jump into this, just a few things. But um, just, you know, Christmas Eve, I'm going to keep saying this till we get there. Christmas Eve this year is on a Sunday. So, we are not going to have a separate candlelight Christmas Eve service. We're not going to have Saturday evening service. We're, we're going to have our Christmas Eve service on Sunday morning at 1030. Make sense? So we're going to wrap our regular service and our candlelight service all together Sunday, 1030, and then we'll be done by noon, and you can go home and be with your families on Christmas Eve. Make sense? Okay, so keep that in mind. Well, I hope you've had a good week. It's been a productive 
week for me. Uh, I've been batching it the last couple of days. Megan's in Chicago, and I would ask uh, that you pray for her because she leaves a dinner tonight at 9 o'clock in Chicago and drives to Nashville. I know, because she's got to be in Nashville by noon tomorrow for a conference, and she couldn't find a flight that made sense, so she is driving from Chicago to Nashville in the middle of the night. That makes me nervous. I don't like that. I tried to talk her out of it. She is meeting Kayla halfway, and Kayla's going with her, but uh, it makes me nervous. So be praying for her, and then come Tuesday night when she gets home, she'll be home late Tuesday night, be praying for me because she will be tired, and um, I call her Tangry Megan. Uh, I'm tired, angry Megan, so be praying for me. But anyway, that's all that. I, I've had a productive week. I've, I've been studying. I, I'm taking um, apocalyptic literature, Jewish apocalyptic literature in the book of Revelation uh, for my PhD program right now. That's helping me prepare because come January, we'll be doing the book of Revelation. Oh boy. And uh, so prayer for that. But I also have to prepare for my comprehensive exams. And so one of the things I've been trying to do is not sit on the couch all day because I needed to lose weight, and I've lost about 14 pounds. And I, and I get out, and I walk every day. And I either walk down here at the church, which that's not a problem, or I walk at home around the block. And the cool thing about living in the age that we're living in, in order to prepare for my comprehensive exams, and comprehensive exams for a Ph.D. are not Scantron tests, they're not essays. There are three professors sitting in front of you, grilling you for four to six hours on every class you've had and on Greek and Hebrew. And so it makes me just a little nervous. And if you fail it, you have to wait a year and take it again. And so I've been studying for that, boning up on my Greek. And so I've got, on, on my phone, I've got every Greek word used in the New Testament. And so it reads it to me and it gives like three seconds for me to guess the word. And so what I do is I put my headphones on and I walk around the block and I repeat the Greek word aloud and then three seconds later I, I try to beat it and, and say what the meaning is. So I'm walking around the block going pus, podos, pode, foot, arm, leg, kira, hand, and it's handy, but I've noticed, I noticed yesterday that the neighbors are starting to look at me really weird. And they think I'm crazy. And yesterday I was, I was going on to Green Street, I was passing on Green Street, and one couple looked at me, and I'm over there going, hoo-poo, you know. And they're looking at me like, are the kids inside? Um, so if you hear anything, you can let them know. He's just studying Greek, as far as we know. Um, I've been reading a lot about the book of Revelation for this, and um, do me a favor between now and then. Do not Google anything about the book of Revelation. I have looked at a few things. Um, there's no filter on the internet. Anybody can post, and they do. And I've looked some things on the book of Revelation that are out there on Google, man, that are nuttier, than a porta potty at a peanut festival. Do not Google it, all right? If you want book recommendations, I'll give them to you, but do not Google it. Just please wait. All right. Getting to the sermon. Now, 
we're going to be in Ezra 1, Ezra 1, uh, verses 1 through 6 in the book of Ezra. Uh, Ezra is, if you're in, what in the world stuck to my foot? Musicians just leave tape everywhere. Um, if you're in Samuel or Kings or Chronicles, you haven't gone far enough. If you're in like Nehemiah or so forth, you've gone too far, you need to back up to Ezra. And so, but before I get there, you need to know this. This week I was also reading about the difference, and this is more of a, a, a difference that counselors make than really it is uh, something that the dictionary does. The difference between laziness and idleness. Now, the way counselors differentiate this is laziness is you do nothing. Nothing. Right? Do you, this is you probably at some point during COVID, right? You sat on the couch, you watched TV, you did nothing. That's laziness. Idleness is you may be busy, but you don't really accomplish anything. Right? You may be a busy person. You wake up and you go to work, you come home, and you fix dinner, and you maybe straighten up the house a little bit, and you go to bed and wash, rinse, repeat. And then maybe on the weekends you watch the kids or grandkids ball games, and then you know you, you go and you and you you go work on your yard or or or, or whatever. And you do this over and over and over and over and over and over again. But you know there's more important things at hand, but you don't do them. And the question is, why? So you know that you have family members or coworkers or friends that are not Christians, but you avoid having that conversation with them. Why? According to most counselors, the number one reason for idleness, pushing off that big thing, that difficult conversation, that, that thing you know you need to do but you don't, is fear. It's fear. You're afraid. You're afraid of what they'll say you're afraid, you're afraid of how they'll react. You're afraid of how you'll look. All that kind of stuff. It's fear. But you have to keep this in mind. The Bible does this. There are two types of sins. There's the sin of commission and the sin of omission. Now, what's the difference? You know very well the sin of commission. That's when you do something you shouldn't do. You actively do something you shouldn't do. You lie. You steal. You get drunk. You do something you know you shouldn't do. Lose your temper. That's the sin of commission. You have done something actively that you shouldn't have done. The sin of omission is you didn't do something you're supposed to do. And that is a sin in the Bible. Jesus' little brother James wrote in his little book, 417, Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. 
And Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. One command. He says, if you love me, you obey my commands. And my big command is go and make disciples of all nations. Fear. What does it have to do with anything? Well, it has to do a lot to do with it. Let's look at this. So, a little background before we get to Ezra 1. 1. Remember that a month or so ago, we talked about this. Israel was carted off into slavery. Remember that? Okay, so, you know, Israel, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, which is what's remaining of Israel, the Babylonians come, they conquer them, and they take the artisans, that's the skilled craftsmen, the carpenters and stuff like that, and they take the well-educated, and they say, you're coming with us, you're going to be our slaves. And so they take them to Babylon. But God sends the prophet Jeremiah to tell them, and especially like in Jeremiah 29.10, Jeremiah says, you will be enslaved for 70 years. Then, I promise you, I will bring you home and I will restore you and you can rebuild Jerusalem. In Ezra 1, what we see is God keeping his promise. So Ezra 1, 1, here we go. In the first year, King Cyrus of Persia, you remember the Persians, this gets, I mean, the Middle East at this time, you think the Middle East is a mess now? It's always been a mess. It always has been a mess. And so you've got the Babylonians who conquer Israel, but then the Persians conquer Babylon, and blah, 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 it goes on and on. And so in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and send it throughout his kingdom. And this is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Not entirely true, but okay. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. Another mistake, but Cyrus was a pagan. And may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then God stirred the hearts of the priests and Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And all their neighbors assisted by giving them articles of silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock. They gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings. Okay. So, God said, in 70 years, I will bring you back home and you can rebuild. At the 70th year, King, King Cyrus is in his first year as king of Persia. He says, you can go home. God kept his promise. God keeps his promises. Something got to keep in mind. Now, unfortunately, when God keeps his promises, typically the response of the people of God is not thankfulness, but whining. So if you look at Exodus, for example, you remember Exodus? God says, I promise that I will free my people. And so he does. He frees them. They go out into the wilderness. What do they do? 
they whine and complain. You can see this, Exodus 15 and 16, Numbers 14, on and on and on, the people of God complain. They go to Moses and they say, hey, we want food. And Moses says, God gives you food every night. He brings manna from heaven. You have manna from heaven every single day. And they're like, we want something else. They're in the middle of the desert and they're asking for a golden corral. But unfortunately, this pattern continues not just in the wilderness, but again and again. It'll happen in Ezra and Nehemiah. The people will start to complain. This temple is not as good as the old one. Even the early church. Second Peter is one of the later books written in the Bible. Most of the books in the New Testament were written anywhere from the late 40s A.D. Now, to put that in the timeline, Jesus is crucified and resurrected sometime, we're not really sure, between 29 and 32 or 33 A.D. Paul gets converted about 34 A.D., and then... In the late, mid-late 40s, Paul starts writing letters, and the church keeps them, and on and on we go. Gospel of Mark's written sometime in the 50s, on and on and on. Peter wrote 2 Peter, and 1 and 2 Peter, sometime in the early 60s, shortly before the Romans put an end to his life. They crucify him upside down. And here is what Peter writes in 2 Peter 3. 3 through 8. Your bulletin says 3 through 18. That's my fault. Uh, I hit something I shouldn't have hit when I sent it to Paula. Here's what it reads. 2 Peter 3. So this is within 30 years. 30 years. The church has only existed for 30 years. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, and you'll learn this in Revelation, the last days are any time after Jesus' resurrection. Because Jesus can return at any time. I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. Fire does not mean destruction in Jewish thought. Fire meant purification. You put something in the fire to purify it. They have been stored up for fire, purification. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. We'll come back and talk about that in the book of Revelation. Way into the book of Revelation. What Peter is saying is, Jesus will return. But I don't know when. You don't know when. And 
the reason for, according to Scripture, for the delay is not because Jesus just doesn't want to come back or that God has forgotten about us. The reason for the delay, according to Scripture, is God wants to give as much time for as many people to repent and come to him as absolutely possible. He's being merciful in his delay. Make sense? Peter is saying, God keeps his promises. He promised the Israelites, you will be carted off into slavery for 70 years, but after 70 years, I will bring you back. And at 70 years, what did he do? He brought them back. God keeps his promises. What promise has he given us? Well, first of all, that if we come and we repent and we place our faith in him, we're baptized in his name, etc., that we will be forgiven. That Christ on the cross will take the penalty for our sins. He will impart to us his perfect life. And there we go. But there's one other promise, and that is that he will return. Now, the disciples tried to press him on this. When will this happen? And what does Jesus say? It's not for you to know. He said, no one knows. No one except my Father knows. That's why I keep telling you. Anytime, and I've had people tell me, have you watched this show? This guy saying this, was, this prophecy was fulfilled, this prophecy, and so Jesus is going to come back soon. I said, they've been saying that for 2,000 years. Well, there are wars and rumors of wars. When haven't there been? Be careful. Be careful. No one knows the day or the hour. What does Jesus say? I will come like a thief in the night. No one knows. It could happen in a second. It could happen in 2,000 years. I don't know. I don't know. But God keeps his promises, and the promise he has out there is, I will return. I will return, I will judge, and I will reign. That's his promise. So with that promise there, what you have to ask yourself is, are you ready? Are you ready? I've told you, I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm not going to pretend that I have any idea any time when Jesus will return. I can't help you. And spoiler alert, we'll go through the book of Revelation. It's not going to help you either. It's not going to tell you when Jesus is going to return. It's not some code that you have to figure out to tell you when Jesus returns. When Jesus said no one knows, he meant, and no one will know but me. Deal with it. It is. But are you ready? I've told you, I, in my, when I drift into narcissism, because I think God definitely has a sense of humor. I've told you I've worked my butt off to do a Ph.D. in New Testament studies, try to be a better pastor, try to be a better teacher, prepare for the day when I retire from this place, go somewhere else and teach and try to train young pastors, and that's the goal. We'll see what God does. But 
that's the goal, that's the plan, and I have this reoccurring dream that I'll be there. My final draft of my dissertation is done. It's ready to send to my professors. I go to hit return, and the trumpet sound, and Jesus returns. That could happen. Here's what I would like to happen. Jesus is not taking requests, but if he was, here's my request. For all of you, because so many of you gave me guff a couple weeks ago, here's what I want to happen. I want the Browns to make it to the Super Bowl. I want them to be six points down on the one-yard line with three seconds left. And just as the brown center snaps the ball, the trumpet sound and Jesus returns. <laughs> oh, that would be glorious. It's not going to happen, but one can hope. They've mocked me, Lord. But are you ready? The promise, God keeps his promises, promises he will return. We don't know when that will be, but are you ready? One of the reasons God has not told us when he's going to return is he wants us always to be ready. Always to be ready. Are you ready? Back before I was born, 1969, uh, long-haired Baptist Pentecostal from California named Larry Norman wrote a song called I Wish We'd All Been Ready. Are you ready? And the only way you can really tell if you're ready or not is this. How is your relationship with God and how is your relationship with each other? You know, there's an old saying, there's no such thing as a perfect church. And if you found one, it would stop being perfect the moment you walked in. There's some truth to that. You know what I've never seen? I remember in 1997, when I became a Christian, I took this dust-covered Bible that my older sister, Luann, had given me, and I took it, and I blew the dust off, and I began to read it from Genesis to Revelation. And when I got to Matthew, something really struck me. In Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus is talking, and he says this to church members. He says, if your brother, and the word adophos and anthropos can mean just human in general, he says, if someone in the church has something against you, notice he assumes you won't have something against them. If someone in the church has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar and go and make amends. When I went to seminary, during a, a cookie and coffee break, in Dr. Willis's class, because Dr. Willis always had cookies. And I asked Dr. Willis, because Dr. Willis at that time, this had been 1999, 
he had been an elder at the Highland Street Church of Christ for 30 years. Highland Church of Christ, big Church of Christ, uh, about 3,000 people or so in a town of 100,000. And I asked Dr. Willis, I said, you know, Dr. Willis, I've been rereading my Bible, and this has always bothered me since I read it. When I read Matthew 5, 23 through 24, when Jesus says, leave your sacrifice at the altar for us, that would be before you tithe or before you take communion, you go and you make amends with somebody who has something against you. I asked him, I said, you're in a big church, you've been an elder long, have you ever seen that happen? And he looked at me, he said, sadly, no. Never seen that happen. How are you with God and how are you with each other? That's the question you got to ask. See if you're ready. And where are you on those difficult conversations you know you need to have with friends and family, co-workers, about their relationship with God? Where are you? Are you ready? Because God keeps his promises and he will return. And you've got to understand that just like losing weight, which I'm trying to do, I've done it before, I'll, I'll do it again. That's the one thing about being a Rawlings. We have like the Oprah gene. We can blow up and we can thin down really quickly. It's the in-between part that we have a problem with. You know, during COVID, I got up to 213 pounds. I weighed myself this morning. I'm on the back end, the lower end of 190s. I'm trying to head the other direction. And so, and I've lost 70 pounds before in the past when I was working out twice a day. I don't have time for that anymore. But, I, you know, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get there. But to be right with God and to be right with each other also takes work. It takes work. You have to be praying regularly every day. Every day. And not just praying for yourself, praying for your church, praying, praying for each other, praying for those who don't know Christ, praying for those who are suffering. All that you need to be praying. You need to read Scripture every single day. I'm training two young guys uh, for ministry. We meet on Monday nights. Um, we've been kind of taking it slow, reading this book on what it means to be a minister. Come January, they're going to be reading the Bible all the way through. <laughs> they don't know what's coming. They're going to spend a year going from Genesis to Revelation. You have to read it every single day. Read Scripture every single day. You need to worship regularly. We have been blessed with some really good, you know, worship leaders here. Ralph led worship last night. Even if Ralph is, and it hardly ever happens, even if he is off-key, he's amazing. His personality is so infectious, you know. Others, I'm kind of biased towards Megan, I'll be honest, and, Caitlin's got the voice of an angel. I mean, it's just, we got these great, you need to sing with them. We need to worship. 
Early church complained, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? The complaints I hear, I will see people come in, and man, they'll come up to me after service, and they'll be bawling, and they repent, and they pour out all their sins, and in a week or two, we baptize them, and they come in, and they start coming to church, and then a year later, they'll walk up to me, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's been about a year since they came to Christ, what's up? So I don't like that song they sang. Well, they weren't singing it to you or for you. Ain't a concert. Worship. You have to work at this. Great New Testament theologian Leon Moore said, you can drift into sin, but not into righteousness. Doesn't work that way. You have to pray. You have to study the Word. You have to care for others. You have to worship. And give thanks. I was giving Gary Harrison a hard time last night. I usually do. I said from the pulpit, Gary and I only have three things in common. One, we're both Christians. Two, we married way above our station. And three, I actually like his Facebook posts. And I don't like most people's. But what Gary posts over and over again on Facebook is, be grateful, be grateful, be grateful, be grateful, be grateful. When you wake up every day, every day you wake up, you open your eyes. That day, that moment is a gift from God. Thank God for every single day he gives you. And if you really mean it, you really get into that habit of being grateful, it'll change your entire day. It really can be grateful. You've been given another chance to serve. This takes work, though. It takes work. Like losing weight, it takes work. You've got to put the work in every day. If you want to stand before Christ and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Older I get, that's what I want to hear more than anything else. But are you ready? Are we ready? Uh, most of you know, as I've said it many, many times, Ricky's not here or she'd get a kick out of this. Because the last time I said this, I despise the movie Titanic with a passion I remember getting dragged to that by my then-girlfriend in 1997. Three, three-and-a-half-hour chick flick. Oh, my gosh. Movie's awful. It's awful. And women don't come at me. You just don't get it. You know what the message of Titanic is to young women? Have a one-night stand with a guy you barely know. It'll change your life. And she thinks so much of you that she just dunks you in the ocean and goes, I'll never forget. What a classic. Oh, hate that movie. So stupid. Gosh. Last time I said that, I walked into my church office and there was a box set of Titanic that Ricky Irvin had put there. 
I told her I'd burn it, but I was afraid it would release a demon like some kind of paranormal activity. Can't stand that movie. But the true story of the Titanic, not that nonsense that James Cameron did, the true story of the Titanic is fascinating. And one of the stories that I was reading this week I'd heard before, but it had been a while. After the ship sank, and it sank quickly, and there weren't enough lifeboats, and there were a lot of people in icy water fighting hypothermia, trying to find debris. The movie got that right. They were trying to find debris, and they were trying to get on top of the debris, out of the icy water so they wouldn't freeze to death. By the way, Leonardo DiCaprio could have fit on that door what he weighed, 90 pounds? Give me a break. Anyway, there were all these people swimming from debris to debris, trying to get on top of it. But there was one guy who was swimming from debris to debris, not trying to get on, but to talk to the people. He was a pastor from Scotland named John Harper. He was on the Titanic because he was scheduled to preach at Moody Church in Chicago. And instead of look for something he could crawl on and save himself, he swam from person to person and asked them one question, are you saved? And again and again, the answer he got was no. He said, then pray with me and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And he did this again and again and again and again. His legs starting to cramp. His skin starting to turn blue. And he came up to this Canadian. And John Harper had hardly any energy left. And he grabbed hold of the piece of debris. And he pulled himself up for a second and said, Sir, are you saved? And the man said, No. And just for a second, John Harper slid under the water because he had hardly any energy left. He managed to pull himself up for a few more seconds and said, well, then pray with me and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And this Canadian gentleman prayed with him, prayed that the Lord would forgive him, placed his faith in Jesus Christ, and when he looked up from his prayer, John Harper had slid beneath the waves, never to be seen again. Some historians have doubted that story. But historians typically don't look at old newspapers that reported on church services, which they used to do. And in a church outside of Toronto, Canada, the report went like this. A man who no one in the congregation rec recognized stood up at the end of service when they asked for testimonies, and he gave his name. He said, I am here to learn, to worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, for I am the last convert of John Harper.
John Harper was ready to meet the Lord. Are you? God keeps his promises. He will return. Are you ready to meet him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word even when it cuts to our soul. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would lead this congregation. And that as you lead it, you will bless it. And that all of us here will keep our minds anchored in the past at the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ, where our sins were forgiven. In the future, when the sky will open, the trumpets will sound, and you will return to judge and to reign forever. And to the present, where we have work to do as your redeemed servants. May we be ready. May everyone in this congregation seek to be as close to you as possible, to care for one another, and to reach out to those who don't know you. I pray for those here who are struggling. There are many. I pray for my wife who will be traveling, Kayla. But most of all, I pray that this week, every single person here, myself included, will be grateful for every moment you give us and seek to serve you with every opportunity we are presented. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, God bless you. God go with you. Ladies, be sure to sign up for the Rahab thing. I want that to become an annual thing so I can keep making jokes from the pulpit about it. Um, Have a great week. Lord willing, see you next time. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.